Welcome in. On this episode, we'll be recapping UFC 264 and where we go from here after the medical stoppage with Dustin Poirier getting a second straight win over Conor McGregor. And we will be previewing UFC fight night for this coming weekend. Islam Mahachev and Tiago Moises will go head to head in the main event. Five rounds is served by the Quarterdeck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill with locations all over South Florida. The Quarterdeck is the best place to watch every UFC pay-per-view with zero cover charge. Delicious seafood, my friends, ribs, burgers, sandwiches, so much more. Cocktails are great and the beer is always cold. The Quarterdeck, come for the food, stay for the fun. Alex Dono, alongside my co-host, as always, we got our man, the myth, the legend, Frank Zaffrey. Make sure you throw him the pity follow on Twitter at RealFrankZ. Frank, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm great. I, I picked up uh, four mercy follows this afternoon. I'd like to thank Zach Krantz for one of them. That's a, that's a big mercy follow. It's a big He's one. a big star, yeah. <laughs> and a man who I don't think needs as many mercy follows, but follow him on Twitter anyway. <laughs> James Walker at James Walker NFL. James, good evening to you, sir. We got so much to get into tonight. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, still wired up from the fights, man. That was a great card, particularly that main event. So let's let's get right to it. Lots to talk about. So uh, if you've been living under a rock, even if you have been, you probably know that the very end of round number one, Dustin Poirier gets his hand raised. What was uh, officially a medical stoppage victory um, this is one of those things, guys, where I hate social media after a moment like that because I'm scrolling down my timeline and I see all of these gnarly gifts of Connor stepping wrong and just snapping that tibia in half. I, I've tried to avoid it, yet I've seen it like a hundred times. But let's talk about the lead up to that point, okay? Now, you could tell McGregor. He was trying something different as opposed to the second fight, which was only six months prior. In the second fight, it was really boxing only for Connor, was throwing his hands. Yet in this third fight, immediately, and the first 90 seconds didn't go that poorly for Connor, was throwing a ton of kicks, was throwing some spinning kicks to the body, was throwing some low kicks to Dustin's legs. Clearly, the strategy was different. He was trying to keep Dustin at distance and battered Dustin's legs the way that Dustin did to him in the second fight, because Connor was probably thinking, well, he did this to me in the second fight. I'm going to do it to him in the third fight. But guys, then around the 92nd mark, Dustin Poirier started cracking McGregor with left hands and was really winning the stand-up exchanges. And then McGregor made, now I, I said the first 90 seconds didn't go poorly for him, the game plan went down the toilet after that because Conor McGregor, I thought, made one of the dumbest tactical moves you can make in a fight. You're going up against a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt who is better on the ground than you are, and yet McGregor chose to willingly surrender position and top control to Dustin Poirier by trying a guillotine and then jumping into guard. And then the end result of that was very predictable. The guillotine choke failed. Then you've got Dustin Poirier on top of you, raining down hellish elbows. Now, to be fair to Connor, you know, he landed a couple of elbows from the bottom. When you only you can only do so much damage with that kind of leverage, though. And he did land a pretty nice up kick when Poirier was posturing up. And then the action resumed on the feet. And then shortly thereafter, 
Both fighters simultaneously missed a punch. McGregor took a bad step and oh, he crumpled to the floor. Poirier jumped on top of him. And uh, when we went to the first round break was when everyone realized, oh, my God, something serious is wrong with Connor. Then we see the replay a thousand times. And that was that. So, James, let me start with you. Yep. How did you see the action unfold? Uh, what adjustments do you think Connor made from the second to third fight? And what do you think Dustin did well? Well, before we break down in, in micro pieces, let, let me just give a macro version from my perspective. Kudos to both fighters. That was as intense a first round um, that I've seen in MMA in a long time. It was very Hagler-Hearns-esque um, in terms of, of intensity and just no feeling out process, just going at it, going for it, uh, you know, in the first round. So I think MMA fans were really cheated because we didn't get to see a second and third round. I think that would have been great. We can debate to the, you know, to the cows come home, what would have happened in the second round. I'm sure we are going to in the next 90 minutes, uh, what would have happened after the first round. But uh, I just wanted to just put that out there. First of all, they went at it, uh, both guys, Connor and Dustin, no feeling out process. That was a very intense, uh, well-fought first round um, on, on both guys. Um, now, just breaking it down on a micro level, um, I thought taps didn't count uh, with, with Connor, right? <laughs> Wasn't that something that he said? You know, he only counts knockout. knockouts. And, you know, as you mentioned, his big, you know, one of the big mistakes he made in that round was to go for a guillotine choke. So if Dustin had tapped, would they have restarted the fight? Would Connor had protested and said, no, 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 this this doesn't stop the fight. Let's, you know, I, I need to knock him out. Um, I, I just thought there were a couple things such as that. Um, and also, he actually went for a clinch. He didn't go for a takedown. But you notice when Dustin started landing those straights about halfway through that first round, he, went, he was the first guy to go for the clinch. He also said the first person that goes for a takedown. I know clinch and takedown is a little bit different, but kind of in the same uh, ballpark. So there were a couple of contradictory things that, that Connor said coming into the fight that actually played out um, in, in those first few minutes. So uh, th that was a couple of things. I got, I got a lot to say, but I, I want to give the floor to Frank uh, before I go too much into it. But mostly from the macro version, uh, very intense first round. And kudos to both guys for, for giving me that kind of Hagler-Hearns feel. Uh, without a feeling out process in an MMA cage. I love the reference to Hagler Hearns because you're right, except that in that great fight, the late and marvelous Marvin Hagler, he came back. He was getting stomped and he came back bloody and not and took Hearns out. Connor was not coming back. I hope everyone now realizes the majesty of Connor McGregor is gone at lightweight anyway. I mean, maybe he can reclaim it at, at, at featherweight, but at lightweight, the show's over for him. Everybody knows his weaknesses, right? Everybody knows where he's vulnerable. And nobody, his power doesn't have the same effect in that division. He came out strong, kicks, aggressive. What I thought he was going to do, because he had to finish that fight. He had to get nasty quickly. And guess what? Dustin could eat all his stuff with no problem. And then started cracking him. And then pretty soon you have Connor going desperation mode. That guillotine choke was not, you know, it was stupid, but it was desperate. I mean, he's feeling the mauling coming on. And so now you're going for anything to try to get out of there because you're right suddenly taps count when Dustin's about to destroy you and then you know look guys that was a 10-8 round I mean the yeah, leg break notwithstanding that was a 10-8 round that's pretty hard to come back from plus Connor's beat up and he's going to spend the next two rounds getting beat up on his back so this guy I mean in the lightweight division this guy is finished except for I guess uh, a trilogy fight with Nate Diaz We'll get to those possibilities. Hey, we're going to have a couple of tremendous guests joining us on this episode in about seven minutes at 615. 
legendary boxing and MMA scribe Kevin Ioli from Yahoo Sports is going to be joining us to take a look back at everything we saw at UFC 264. We're going to have a conversation about 264. And also, uh, I want uh, our following guest who comes on after Kevin to kind of help us what would break down in a hypothetical, and it's going to happen, uh, fight between just Dustin Poirier and Charles Oliveira. Jonathan Ramlakan from the Five Reasons Sports Network will join us for that. Now, Frank, to kind of piggyback on what you were saying, I wouldn't say this. I don't know if any other context, I wouldn't talk this way about a human being breaking their leg the way that Conor McGregor did, but... That may have been the most fortunate tibia break in human history. Because guess what, guys? As the result of breaking his leg at the end of that fight, and you even remember, and McGregor, I will give him kudos for being really tough. His pain tolerance must be through the roof because I've seen other athletes and fighters you know, break legs and arms, and they're usually just like screaming and writhing in pain, as I surely would be. And Connor actually seems surprisingly coherent and was still talking trash after breaking his leg. And you heard him. He was yelling at Herb Dean, who was the referee for that fight. And he kept saying, mate, th th this is a doctor stoppage, right? It's not I, I can't do Irish. I think that sounds English or something. But anyways, he's yelling at Herb Dean like, hey, make sure this is a doctor stoppage and not a TKO. Because you know what's spinning through Conor McGregor's mind? In that delusional mind of his, he's thinking, I didn't lose this fight. I just got injured, that this was an act of God, this was unlucky, and that if I hadn't broken my leg, I would have come back and kicked this bloke's ass. That's what Conor McGregor is thinking. But, Frank, the way that I saw it, I'm sure you saw it this way as well, Conor was getting dismantled by Dustin Poirier. You were right to mention 10-8 round. I, I don't think Conor was coming back from that. I think it would have only gotten worse. That's obviously just my estimation. But I think Dustin would have finished that fight at some point in the second or third round. Yeah, I think so too. And I love your comment about the fortunate, the, the unfortunate, but yet fortunate leg break. You know, who's most happy about that is Dana White, because that preserves a little shine, you know, maybe yeah. if that hadn't happened, you know, and that'll lead to, uh, I know I keep jumping ahead, but that'll lead to a better buildup against Nate Diaz, because I think if the fight had gone on the way, I think the three of us think it would have gone on. I think it really would have put a hurt on the Conor McGregor marketing machine as we know it today. Yeah, and I, I agree with you guys. I, I don't think things would have turned around uh, in the second or third round. I think it was going downhill uh, for Connor. Um, but to his credit, I mean, he we don't know that. <laughs> you know, we don't know for sure. He can state his case. Um, I'm actually of the thought process that Poirier will give him a fourth fight, uh, maybe even before Nate. And I say that because just looking at his post-fight comments uh, afterwards – I don't think he was fully satisfied with the win. I mean, he'll, he'll take it, obviously. You know, he gets the paycheck and he gets the W. Um, but I think with the trash talk and everything, he didn't get to shut Connor up. And I, I think a definitive knockout, you know, like he had in the second fight or, you know, a tap or something like that would have shut Connor up. Um, I think that's kind of what, what Dustin wants. Um, you know, if he's the champion, I think it makes it less likely. If he's the challenger, it's a big money fight for him, um, you know, come next year. You know, I think we're looking at at least a year. Uh, I think Connor's what, 34 just or 34 next week. He'll be 35, I think, by the time he's back in the octagon. You know, so I, I think the, you know, things are kind of looking bleak for him as far as, you know, his future of kind of getting where he was back in 2015, 2016. Uh, but I do think I'm in the minority probably, but I do think Dustin would give him a rematch. The smart thing for Dustin to do, though, is to make Connor win a tune up fight, make him earn it. 
You know, yeah. Connor's made other people earn it. It's time for Dustin to make Connor earn it. Um, win or lose against Oliveira. Well, yeah, and, and and here's the thing, like, and and you're right. I mean, Connor, I would imagine is going to lead it. He's going to need at least a year to recover from this injury. And so, what if when Connor is physically healthy again, Poirier has become the lightweight champion? It's like then, how would I justify giving McGregor a shot then at the lightweight title when he's lost four of his last five fights and it's been you know forever since well I guess not that long because he beat Donald Cerrone but it feels like forever at least since Connor's last winning streak so like Frank that, that that's my big thing here that yeah we can talk about doing the fourth fight and maybe it'll happen at some point down the road and Connor certainly feels like he deserves it and hell Dustin wouldn't mind doing it because Dustin Poirier knows I'm not going to make better money fighting anyone other than Conor McGregor. I mean, some, something we didn't talk about enough last week before the fight was Dustin Poirier actually had the opportunity to fight for that vacant lightweight title months ago, but he decided not to take that fight for a belt. He'd rather fight Conor McGregor for no belt because that's a much more lucrative fight. But then when Conor's back, if Dustin Poirier is the champion, Frank Conor doesn't just deserve to jump the line, does he? No, he doesn't. And and to both of your points, he would have to win a fight uh, because he's Conor McGregor. He'd only have to win one and it yep. probably wouldn't have to be anybody that sensational, but he'd have to win at least one fight. But I bring up another point because I think James is prophetic about bringing up this fourth fight potential because with Khabib Nurmagomedov out of the lightweight division, I predict that the belt's going to change hands a lot. I mean, yeah. I, I see a lot of... Uh, I see a lot of evenness at the top of that division. It's a, it's a shark tank, to be sure. And I don't see anyone that stands head and shoulders above anybody else. And so I think it's very possible that Dustin could win the title and then lose it very soon thereafter. I think by the time Connor's ready to return and gets through a, a tune-up fight, Poirier might be there waiting for him. And Poirier might be at that point in his career saying, yeah, give me the money. I mean, I want to I cash out on my way out. Yeah, I mean, he, can, he can make a career earnings uh, just fighting right. Connor four times you know <laughs> yeah, uh, right. probably more more money he's made in those four fights than he's made in his other you know 30 plus 30 or so fights so um yeah i i i wouldn't be surprised if they get in the octagon one more time all right well a man who can certainly shed some light on what the future might hold uh really been uh, been a longtime friend on all the platforms that i've been in over the years this guy covers mixed martial arts and boxing like no other Excellent columnist for Yahoo Sports covering MMA and the sweet science. The great Kevin Ioli joins us. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Kevin I. Kevin, you know, first and foremost, uh, I'm sure you were at that card in Vegas this past weekend. What was the atmosphere like? It was it was great. I mean, it was a, a party atmosphere, uh, big crowd. Uh, they were noisy. They were into it. Uh, it was, and, you know, the fights lived up uh, to the type of card it was. And so, there was a lot of ooh and and on going on with, you know, uh, even when Michelle Pajeda did that backflip in the mound, I mean, the place went nuts. I mean, to me, that was the best move of the night. I love that. But uh, what, what a great card it was and what a good crowd it was. Yeah, and, and obviously it took some of the, the buzz away from a lot of folks. The way that the fight ended now, as we were talking about before you hopped in, Poirier was looking tremendous before Connor unfortunately breaks his leg at the end of the first round and that I think in Connor's mind at least will give him that asterisk like hey you know what I didn't really lose it was a medical stoppage that one doesn't really count uh, he's obviously going to need some time to recover from that serious injury Kevin but when McGregor is able to come back whether it's a year 18 months down the road 
What do you think the future holds for him? Do you think he immediately gets the fourth fight with Poirier, or could it be more complicated than that? You know, I, I think we can't answer that question now because just what you said, it's going to be a year uh, or more before he gets back. And then once he's back, we have to see what the composition of the division is. You know, if Dustin Poirier loses two fights in that interim period of time, you know, are they going to sell a fight with Conor McGregor? Uh, what's going on with Nate Diaz? So, you know, we don't really know what what is going to be going on in the sport at that period of time. So we have to wait and see. You know, I think the most likely scenario, if everything stays pretty much relative the same as it is now, Nate Diaz. I think that that would be the fight that they would probably want to go to. Um, You know, I think my guess is that Poirier will be the champion at that point. uh, And Connor certainly has done zero to earn a championship shot. Uh, So, you know, I don't think that they're going to throw him directly into a championship match. So, you know, with everything being even, even though we understand that it's a very difficult uh, projection to make, I think uh, Nate Diaz would be the guy that I would expect to see. Kevin, let's take a 10-foot view for a little bit with Connor. And just let's just say this is as good as it gets for Connor. His peak was in, you know, 15, 16. What would his legacy be in the sport? Uh, if he, you know, if this is all the titles he's won, you know, he had that run, um, and, you know, and things have kind of gone downhill at, towards the end. What, how will you remember Connor McGregor? Well, I, I think it would be fair to say if this is it for him, James, you know, right now you're going to say, you know, he's one of the, you know, he's the greatest star in UFC history and one of the great fighters in UFC history. I mean, certainly never the best fighter uh, at any one given period of time, but, you know, one of the best fighters uh, who ever graced the octagon uh, accomplished a whole lot. And he really opened up the path for a lot of uh, the people to come, you know, all these champ champs, they followed him. You know, he did something that nobody thought was possible to do that Dana White would have never considered before. Um, And the fact that Connor was able to get it done and show that it was possible and open up, you know, for Amanda Nunes and, and Henry Cejudo and, and DC and the, and the like, Adesanya tried it earlier this year. So I think, you know, he's going to, you know, I mean, you know, there's a lot of good about Connor and there's been a lot bad about Connor. I, I certainly thought his behavior Saturday night was despicable, but you can't, you know, look and take that and ignore all the good things that he's done in the sport. Yeah, that was my question for you, Kevin. I, you know, uh, I've I've thought a lot about the end of that fight, and one of the things that stood out to me was Connor. No matter what you think of him, he's always been a really good loser. When he's lost, he's he's always had great presence in there and and handled himself well. And Saturday night was a disgraceful, and I just wonder what the effect of that is on his marketability moving forward and his popularity, really. Yeah, I think it's going to hurt him, Frank. You know, I think, you know, not that so much as, you know, because, you know, I'm getting bombarded with, you know, nasty uh, tweets and Instagram messages, you know, for criticizing him from his supporters. Um, You know, so, you, you know, you expect that. But I think, you know, the combination of losing and not being the same fighter. And then, you know, ha- um, having that kind of behavior, I think those two things together more than, you know, more than just the trash talk itself. And it, and it wasn't just, you know, leading up to the fight. I mean, he, he treated everybody very poorly. Um, you know, there was some UFC uh, crew, camera crews that went on there. He, he treated those guys miserably uh, when they were at his gym. Uh, he canceled all interviews except for the ones he was contractually obligated to do, you know, wouldn't do any interviews, uh, spoke ill about Dustin Poirier's wife. You know, it, it's yeah. one thing to talk, you know, hey, you, you suck as a fighter or whatever, you know, whatever a guy wants to say. But you don't bring their families into it. And, and he did that. He made it personal in a way that very few other people ever did. Um, 
And I, I, I just think, you know, that uh, it, it was a bad choice. But I don't think that in and of itself is going to hurt him. I think it's the fact that he, he's one in four in his last five fights that really is going to make him less of an attraction. Joined here by Kevin Ioli from Yahoo Sports. I want to jump a little earlier on the card, uh, a fight that played out, I think, exactly the way that James, Frank, and I thought it would play out was Ty Tuivasa KOing Greg Hardy. It only took 67 seconds. And, okay, so we've seen Greg Hardy win a few fights against Cans. We've seen him lose a few fights against better opposition. And, obviously, Ty Tuivasa was the by far the best that he's faced so far, and it was my I expected outcome. He fought, he fought Alex Volkov. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's a good point. So so another tough test that he fails, Kevin. And so is he still a viable UFC heavyweight, or is it time for Dana White to move on? You know, that's what I wrote before the fight. I, I You know, I talked to Greg about it, and I, and I talked to uh, Dana White about it. And they seem to think, you know, that he was right where he should be. And, you know, there's a little bit of a thing where you can say, you know, you equate him to a baseball player that – should have been in uh, high A or double A, and he was he was in the major leagues, you know. And if he bats 240, you're not too upset about it, by you know, because you figure he's going to develop and, and be better. But you know, by the same token, Hardy Hardy is older than you know a, a young baseball player that would be there. Uh, it's got miles on his body. You know, none of the guys he's beaten are still in the UFC. And I asked myself, you know, I mean, I, he's developing a, a persona that I think, was, you know, is interesting. Um, but, you know, what does he do? Like, what is it that makes Greg Hardy? Why do I look at him and say, this guy's going to be a champion? And there's some fighters you look at and you say, oh, my God, he's, you know, he's unbelievably fast. Or, you know, he hits so hard or he has the... And I look at Hardy and I go, what makes him special? You know, and he's special when he faces B-level opposition. But, you know, what has he done to tie, uh, um, tie to Ivasa or, or Volkov or, or any of these other guys, you know, you, that he's fought? Um, you know, he has been pushed a little bit. But when he's been pushed, you know, he hasn't really answered the bell. I guess the best performance in a loss would have been the one against Volkov, you know, when he took it on short notice and went the distance. But, you know, I, I just don't see Greg Hardy, you know, being a heavyweight UFC heavyweight champion. I, I thought when he when they signed him that that was probably something that was in his future, given the coaching staff that he was going to have and given the athletic ability that he has. But um, I don't think it's translating uh, as far as I see it. And I think I'd have to see something dramatic from Greg in his next fight or two for me to change my mind. And Kevin, in the co-main event, uh, Gilbert Burns beat Wonderboy. I think I was the only person on the panel to pick Burns uh, last week. Just want to put that out there. Well, us too. I mean, on the, on the show here. Um, after the win, his call out, you know, you rarely hear guys call out four different guys. And, yeah. and I think that kind of shows where Burns is at this point, even as, you know, a top contender, number one or number two contender in his division. He called out Masvidal. He called out Leon Edwards. He called out a couple other guys. Uh, it's almost like he doesn't really know um, where, where to go at this point. Um, where, where do you see Burns' future in, in that well, respect? Yeah, James, I think, you know, if you if you look at it first, I think it's because he put his all, all his eggs in one basket. I did an interview with him on camera before the fight, and he said, you know, I don't want to criticize Dana White. Dana says Colby's going to get the next shot, but I'm going to go in there and I'm going to be so spectacular against uh, this guy, against Wonderboy, that Dana's going to have no choice but to give me the title shot after I beat him. So now we see the fight, and he won the fight, and no question that he won the fight, but he was not spectacular. And I should add that I brought that up to Dana White before, and I said, 
Dana, is there any way you would change your mind? He said, there is nothing Gilbert Burns can do that would get him the title <laughs> shot the next fight. So I guess Gilbert didn't hurt himself with kind of a, a bad fight. But I, I think, you know, the fight that makes the most sense would be Masvidal, right? That To me, that is a fight. Or Leon Edwards, one of those two. But I think the Masvidal, you know, the South Florida rivalry type fight, um, you know, would be the fight to make uh, for him. But, you know, e- either Leon Edwards or Jorge would be the one I think made the most sense. Let me ask you, following up on that, and I know James brought that uh, fight up because, you know, I, I picked uh, Wonder Boy. But, uh, so you know, what, what happens with what, who in that division can unseat Kamaru Uzma? I mean, you know, he's going to see Colby again. And while that fight was incredibly close for a while, it ended up with Colby getting knocked out and his jaw broken. So, you know, I'm just wondering, in your estimation, I mean, he's cycling back over opponents now. So I'm just wondering who you think might get him. The, the one guy that I think – you know, hey, look, who's the most likely to get him would be Colby Covington because he's next. But, right. you know, I, I think the guy that's the, you know, that you look at would be Hamza Chamayev would be the guy. Is there somebody out there that hasn't fought him that could rise up and be good enough to beat him? And, uh, you know, unfortunately for Chamayev, he got not only did he get COVID, but then he had really severe after effects after it. And it's going to ultimately have kept him out of action for over a year. Um, and that'll slow his thing. But if you look at some of the, like there's an interview on YouTube and I would recommend all your listeners to go search it out where Darren Stewart talks about training with Chemayev and it will blow you away when you hear what Darren Stewart says about his physical strength and how hard he hits and all these different things that he said. And, and you know, you can talk to anybody who has trained with him or been around him and they'll all say those same things. So I think Chemayev is the guy, but is he ready for Usman? No, he's not even close right now. So I think unless Usman makes a mistake, we're going to see him as champion probably for another couple defenses. And then, you know, maybe Hamzad's there, but right now on the horizon, you know, there's nobody that you would say has the style and has the thing to beat him. You know, Covington certainly is a terrific fighter, but uh, we saw what happened last time, and I thought I, I think the same thing will happen again. You know, so I want to look ahead to this weekend. We do have a UFC Fight Night event coming up, and you wrote a column about Islam Mahachev, who's in the main event. And I mean, I have a fascination with Dagestani fighters. I'm a big Habib <laughs> fanboy, and of course, Mahachev is a protege of his. They are very, very close. They trained together. Habib is coaching him now. And, Kevin, there are a ton of similarities. I mean, Mahachev has an elite combat sambo background, uh, you know, a world champion and a Russian champion. Once this guy gets in close, you're just going to wind up on your back. It is absolutely inevitable. Is it it fair for people to refer to him as the next Habib? Do you think that's putting too much pressure on him? Uh, How do you feel about this? Because I thought the column you wrote was great. I think there are a lot of similarities, you know, between him and Habib. You know, I really do. I think there's uh, a lot going on. But I think the big difference is, you know, look at what he did when he had Drew Dober down. You know, I mean, he didn't look to pass and get in there and and throw elbows and and, and get a finish, you know, which is what Habib usually does. Um, You know, he sat there and he, he found a way to get a submission. And he loves to submit guys. You know, he is a guy that looks for submissions first, last, and always. You know, he's developed a pretty good striking game, and so his hands are, are weapons. But, uh, you know, he's a guy that's constantly looking to submit you. And he has that high-level grappling, and that wrestling is unbelievable that he has. And he can put guys in positions, and then he can submit you from pretty much anywhere. Um, so I, I think, you know, he is probably, you know, 
to take Frank's question about the welterweight division and put it into the lightweight division, this is the guy that I think, you know, Charles Oliveira and Dustin Poirier at all, Justin Gaethje, have to worry about. Uh, I think, you know, he he's ranked nine because he hasn't had that really elite opponent yet. Nobody wants to fight him. They were trying to get him a top five opponent. None of those guys would fight him. Um, so he's sitting there, you know, kind of fighting a guy like Tiago Moises that you have to be a really hardcore MMA fan to know Tiago Moises. Uh, and, you know, he's a good fighter, Brazilian black belt in uh, uh, jiu-jitsu, black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And so he's, you know, he's a good fighter, but he's not a guy that a lot of the public knows. So Makachev needs to get some fights against guys that people know to get that fan base going. But believe me, he is a major, major threat uh, to everybody at the top of that division. Let me ask you this on the way out. And I I really should have led with this because this to me is bigger than anything that happened at UFC 264. I am a Diaz Brothers fanboy. And finally... (laughs) Finally, after six long years, after six long years, it's official uh, over these last few days that Nick Diaz is going to be rematching Robbie Lawler, a rematch 17 years in the making. It's going down September 26th. Now, I think there are two title fights on that card, but honestly, the Diaz fight is the main event for me. I'm going to turn the pay-per-view off after the Diaz fight. But, Kevin, after so much time away, we've actually seen the younger Diaz become a much bigger star than the elder Diaz. So what sort of an impact do you think Nick can make in terms of buzz, pay-per-view sales? And I know he's not the main event, so he doesn't have to carry it, but do you think that he is going to kind of step right into the same cult status that his brother has stepped into? 100%. 100% absolutely percent. <laughs> he is going to be right there. It's, it's like I, I put the tweet out and, you know, my my biggest tweets get you know a thousand retweets and i don't get many of those i think this one has twenty thousand right now i mean people went crazy over that news you know it's just massive news having him back and then to fight robbie lawler you know that that's the other thing um that that really got this you know they fought i had i almost think i had hair when they fought the last <laughs> so you did know, i so. it was crazy right you know so uh I, I think that he's going to add uh, a lot and he is going to pick up right where he left off. Now, I don't know about fight wise. You know, we've talked about this, Alex. You know, he's uh, hasn't fought in six years. It'll be six and a half years, right? Six and three quarter years by the time he actually steps in the cage. How much can we actually expect out of this dude when you haven't fought in that long time? The sport is different now. Um, but as from as far as an attraction is concerned, he, he is going to be the man. I'm definitely going to see you in Vegas for that one because I, I wouldn't miss that one live because, you know, I don't want to have to wait another six years to watch Nick Diaz again. So huge thank you and a shout out to a man who does excellent work. You can check him out. Uh, his columns are excellent at yahoosports.com and follow him on Twitter at Kevin I. He's Kevin Ioli. Kevin, thank you so much and enjoy your evening, sir. Thank you, guys. I appreciate having me. See you. Of course, man. Now that, that, that was tremendous. And I mean, guys, I got, I was blushing the way that he was talking about Nick Diaz, that he's absolutely going to be a, an immediate phenomenon. If you think about that, 20,000-plus retweets just to break the news of Diaz officially signing that fight. I mean, guys, I, I am I am ready. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to book my plane ticket to Vegas. I don't even know if I'm going to sleep in a hotel. I'm just going to stay up all night wired. Like, I'm just going to, you know, I'll stay up all night and fly back to Miami the next morning. It's going to be fantastic. Alex, if if Conor McGregor is looking for a blueprint person for how you maintain popularity and just do nothing but lose fights for years, Nick Diaz is the guy that you want to model your career after. 
But, I, you know, how he's been able to maintain this celebrity status. I mean, been on ice for six years. And what's his record since 2016? I mean, I think he's oh, what, it's terrible. four, yeah. one, five. Yeah. So, well, he had a no contest in there with Anderson Silva, right? I count that, that as a victory. It, it was overturned. Yeah. yeah, right. So, uh, yeah, that's the blueprint for Connor. But, I mean, yeah, the, it's sensational to see him coming back because it's going to sell pay-per-views. I, I knew that's where you were going uh, <laughs> with, with that. Um, Alex, but let, let's talk about the matchup for a second. Like, I mean, was any I, I haven't heard one iota of anyone clamoring for a over the last 17 years, hmm. a Robbie Lawler, Nick Diaz rematch. There was I don't remember anyone saying they should rematch immediately after that fight, five years after that fight, anytime recent. Um, so I, I don't know why I, they're selling this as a rematch 17 years in the making. I, I don't remember anyone. I mean, were you I one can- of those people, Frank? I can explain it, Doc. I mean, I can tell you what happened. I mean, Nick Diaz is a prima donna. He's going to pick his fighter, and he yeah. wants to know who the guy is, and he right. wants to respect the guy. He yep. respects Robbie Lawler, and Robbie Lawler's going to take the fight because he wants to avenge what happened 17 years ago. I think you'll see the best Robbie Lawler you're, you've seen in his last five or six fights. I mean, he's going to be going for blood. And Nick Diaz, I mean, look, he only fights for the title or somebody he respects. And so – Robbie's the latter, right? And the crazy thing, even 17 years later, I still look back at that first fight of theirs, and it was so crazy because, you know, Nick Diaz has, of course, won plenty of fights by TKO. He's won plenty of fights by submission. I can't remember too many times he has knocked somebody's lights out with one punch. That's just (laughs) – he's not a power puncher, but he landed one right on the button on a very young Robbie Lawler. I mean, if this was the Robbie Lawler of two, three years ago – where, you know, the guy's been in so many battles, he's got no chin left, then, okay, I guess it wouldn't surprise me if Diaz were to knock him out standing when they fight in September. But I don't don't know exactly how old Robbie Lawler was in 2004. That would require a lot of math on my part, but I'm guessing he was in his early 20s, early to mid-20s at that point. I would not have expected him to go down with one punch the way he did against Diaz. So that's going to be a tough act to follow as far as Diaz goes. And I would imagine, James, we're going to see – we're going to see all the Diaz antics. Like, we're going to see him do his stuff. We'll get some double middle fingers in there. We'll get some of the trash talk. If, God forbid, Lawler is not bringing constant action to him, as I think he probably will, Diaz will do that thing where he falls on the mat and pretends to go to sleep. I want to see all of that. Like, I want to get the full Nick Diaz experience. I I think he will, but I I think Robbie will bring the fight, too. And I I think both men know that, and that's why they both signed a dotted line. Uh, But it it just feels six or seven years past due to me. What about when Robbie was a champ, when he had that run when he was beating Johnny Hendricks and and those guys, and he had the belt uh, before he lost to Tyron Woodley? Uh, Throwing Nick Diaz in at that point uh, would have been a much better time. But, you know, hey, I I mean, I'm happy to see Nick back, but I'm I'm not really that excited about this matchup as you are, Alex. But, uh, But to each his own. (laughs) Fair enough. I want to go through uh, some more of these fights in a second from UFC 264. In about 10 minutes, we're going to be joined by Jonathan Ramlikan from the Five Reasons Sports Network. But I want to talk about the Quarter Deck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill. This show is presented by the Quarter Deck. And guys, every time I talk about the delicious food, I start to make myself hungry. I've not had dinner yet. I'm still about an hour and a half away from that. So pray for my stomach. And maybe I need to drive myself up to the quarter deck, Davie, the quarter deck, Fort Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale Beach, Dania Beach Pier, Plantation. Oh, my friends, there are so many options. The quarter deck is the spot to watch every UFC fight, whether it's a fight night event like the one coming up this weekend or, of course, 
a UFC pay-per-view. If you want to catch 265 or even better, catch 266 out there when my guy Nick Diaz makes his return. Believe me, if I'm not in Vegas, I will be at the next best thing, and that is the Quarter Deck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill. They have every UFC pay-per-view fight for zero cover charge. You pay nothing at the door to watch a UFC pay-per-view fight and enjoy the amazing food while you're there. I'm a huge seafood fan. I love the oysters at the quarter deck. I love the sushi. Sushi Mike does an amazing job with those creations. The sandwiches are to freaking die for, guys. I just tried the new jerk chicken sandwich a couple of weeks ago, a new menu item at the quarter deck. I like my food spicy because I'm a man's man. And they actually made it so spicy, my mouth was watering a little bit. Like, I, I was chugging down the beer there to, to clean some of that spice away. It was awesome. You can get tater tots on the side, fries, curly fries, mac and cheese. There are so many great options. The baby back ribs are awesome as well at the quarter deck. And, of course, make sure to finish your meal with the key lime cheesecake. Oh, it is the perfect way to finish every meal. Save room for dessert, would you? The beer is cold. The cocktails are excellent. You know, when, when you're hanging out with great friends and amazing food at the quarter deck, time just flies. Like you'll sit down there thinking, oh, I've got like a, you know, three hour UFC main card in front of me. It's going to fly by. It's going to be over in the snap of a finger. You will have so much fun watching every UFC fight at the quarter deck seafood bar and neighborhood grill. Visit them on the web at quarterdeckrestaurants.com. It's where you come for the food and stay for the fun. Guys, I want to dive a little bit more into the co-main event. Um, a lot of people were reacting to this fight, James, like, oh, this was so boring. You know, this wasn't the fight we were hoping for. As Kevin Ioli alluded to, Dana White was critical of this fight in his post-fight press conference with Gilbert Burns getting the unanimous decision over Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Although at 38 years old, I don't know why we're still calling this guy Wonderboy. Wonderman. Wonderman. 29-28 on all three scorecards. Uh, Burns winning the first and third rounds pretty clearly. And actually, like, believe it or not, the individual fighter, at least in the main card, that I came away most impressed with was Gilbert Burns. Because I have a lot of respect for someone who follows their game plan to a T. And Wonderboy Thompson, this is the reason why, James, now I know you were the one on this panel who picked Burns, and good on you for doing that. The reason why I picked Wonderboy was I just thought that Wonderboy would ask so many questions with his complicated stance, his point karate style, and I thought Burns would have a tough time being the shorter fighter, really getting inside his reach, really landing his takedowns effectively, and I thought Burns, he had a game plan. And part of that was, by the way, Henry Hooft, his coach, deserves a lot of credit for bringing in Raymond Daniels, a professional kickboxer, to help him train and prepare for the style of Wonder Boy. And Burns did an excellent job answering those questions, landed key takedowns to steal those first and third uh, rounds, and he deserved them. Oh, you don't think so? All right, well, let, let, let me, let me get like James. Connor, man. You know, and I do remember Frank. I'm, I'm one of his 13 followers on Twitter and I do remember him saying something about how he thought uh, Wonder Man got robbed on the card. So let me go to James first, and oh. then Frank will tell us why Wonder Boy should have gotten his hand raised. <laughs> Wasn't a robbery for sure. Uh, first and third rounds were clear. I would, I mean, the second round was close. Uh, you could even give the second round the Burns. Eh, it was close. I, I don't mind giving that one to Wonder Boy. But um, props to Burns. As you mentioned, it, it wasn't an exciting fight. Burns was going against his nature, especially in a three round fight where I thought he would be. Super aggressive. I thought he had to be super aggressive, but he actually took a more 
uh, measured approach. And, you know, as you mentioned, the takedowns were key. I think those one in the round, the takedowns in the ground and pound, uh, Wonderboy couldn't really get up. And I, I was, you know, Wonderboy freezes everybody. So um, he makes everybody go a step or two slower um, than what they normally do um, in, in terms of striking. So for Burns to kind of be measured and, and to kind of freeze, I, I think that was somewhat par for the course. Uh, but Burns had a strategy and figured it out. I mean, it was a points win. I'm not big on, you know, points wins, uh, you know, per se. So it wasn't, you know, as, as all of you mentioned, as Dana White even mentioned, it wasn't the most impressive win, but he did what he had to do, uh, you know, to win. And sometimes you got to do that, especially when you're in a position like him where there's more to lose than there is the game. You know, he was a, a top one or two contender coming into the fight. He's still a top one or two contender. The only thing that would have happened different is had he lost, he probably would have dropped you know, maybe closer to top five. So he did what he had to do to preserve the win. He's, he was going to have to win a, another fight anyway. Uh, as uh, Kevin Ioli mentioned, put him in with Leon Edwards, put him in with uh, Jorge Masvidal, and then maybe consider reconsider a title shot. But you guys had mentioned, last point I want to make, you guys had mentioned that, um, you know, that, you know, there aren't really that many threats uh, to Kamaru Usman other than, you know, maybe Colby and, and uh, Chamayev, who's a long way away. I think Burns in a rematch, man, could give Kamaru Usman some some. He problems, caught him man. the first time. He I nearly mean, he gave, finished him. He gave him his toughest fight. Uh, pretty much other other than Kobe, I guess, was a five round fight. But um, he had a chance. He was he was closer than most people, you know, give him credit for. So I think in a rematch, he can give Kamaru Usman a, a really really tough matchup. Uh, it just won't happen in the next fight or two. He still has to win another fight. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not going to say that it was uh, that uh, that I think Gilbert Burns stole it. I mean, I, look, he's a great fighter. I enjoy watching him. I, I hate the kind of the sometimes when the old school MMA refing or judging techniques come back, where you know, you remember Chael Sonnen, he'd get beaten up by Michael Bisping, clearly outstruck, and then he lands a takedown, steals the round. I mean, what does that mean? I mean, you know, there wasn't a lot happening in those takedowns. I mean, you know, Gilbert would control, but I I was watching Wonder Boy get up, which is not something. He's apt to do against a mauler like Gilbert Burns, you know. And yes, Gilbert Burns was touching him a little bit, but those punches weren't hurting. But yeah, they were adding up. And you know, yes, he outpointed him, I guess. But I just hate that, you know, you steal around because you get a takedown. Nothing happened in the takedown. He didn't, you know, in wrestling, which is in my very distant past was my sport. You know, you got a point for getting up too. You know, two for oh, taking down, and then you got a point for getting up. So you know, in MMA judging, there's no point for getting up. You know, or there's no point for preventing anything of any magnitude from happening, you know, because then it starts to look a little bit like you're just trying to ride it out, which to your point, James, I think is what Gilbert Burns game plan was. I'm not going to get struck by one of these weird, you know, kicks coming from my someplace I don't see. I'm going to get this guy in the ground, hold him here, control him here, maybe score some points and get out of here with a victory. And kudos to Gilbert Burns for taking a dangerous fight when it could be argued that he could have just sat around and probably gotten back into the title shot. And a lot of guys do that. Our buddy Colby Covington being one of them sometimes, yeah. you know, but Smart you know, Gil, Gil, yeah, Gilbert Burns. I mean, he went out there and fought a very dangerous guy uh, and jeopardized his own probably, probably certain uh, uh, next fight with Kamar Usman. Uh, so I want to give him credit for that. Huge shout out, by the way, to our guy cap for life in the chat and everyone watching us live. You, you can drop your comments. We want to answer some of these questions. And by the way, if you're in there watching us live, do us a favor and make sure you smash 
that like button. Hit the thumbs up button. The more likes we get, the more people's YouTube timelines we're going to show up in. We're just going to be all over that algorithm. It's going to be awesome. How Make about sure following me on Twitter, man? I mean, how about just throw me a follow on Twitter? I mean, for That'll help God. as well. It's embarrassing. I mean, it's but, embarrassing. by the way, can, can I ask you, like, <laughs> th there seem to be multiple Frank Zaffrey parody accounts that have already oh popped yeah. up. Because I, I noticed, like, especially what there's there's two of them. One of them is a lot funnier than the other. But like w w one of them was like tweeting some really funny stuff during the event and like really? I'm slapping my ass off. Really tearing me up. Yes, really tearing me up. It's a, it's a, you know, it, it, look, I can't get any followers, but the ones I do just ridiculed it. I haven't followed those back yet, but the parody accounts are back in full force. <laughs> yeah, there, there's two. Like immediately, this, this guy, he literally created his Twitter account a week ago. And that was last Thursday. And then by yeah. Saturday, there were not one, but two Frank Zaffrey parody I, accounts. I, I know the identity of these parody accounts. Oh, you do? I want to keep it secret because I want them to keep doing the parody because I think their stuff is going to be exponentially better than mine. So uh, <laughs> I, I want to keep them going. If I if I reveal them on the show, they might, you know, they might just back out. So. You know, I, I thought we, we might as well answer uh, one of Cap's questions here. Since we're talking about the welterweight division, he says, is Colby Covington deserving of a title shot, another shot against Kamaru Usman? I think he is, guys. I, I think by virtue of, uh, I'm not going to say it was razor thin close, but by how competitive that first five-round fight of theirs was, uh, I do think Colby is deserving. And part of that is a testament to how good Kamaru has been against everyone else because He's cleaning out that division. I mean, it's in a sense, it's kind of unfortunate that Wonder Boy didn't beat Gilbert Burns because you could have then lined up Wonder Boy as actually a fresh contender that Usman hasn't fought before because what's going to be now happening, it's already happening with Colby, it's going to keep happening is Usman is going to keep cleaning out the division and fighting the same guys over and over and over again the way that, you know, George St. Pierre was near the end of his welterweight title reign, the way Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson was in his very, very long flyweight title reign. So, yeah, in, in this sense, would I prefer like a really dynamic, fresh face to get a shot? Yeah, absolutely. But I do think Colby is deserving of a shot. What do you think, James? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it's not like he got an immediate rematch. I mean, he waited his turn. Uh, Burns got in there with him. Masvidal got in there with him. Uh, and yeah, maybe Kobe could have fought a, a tune-up fight, but as you mentioned, if he doesn't need the money, it's better business just to preserve your body, preserve your health, and, and get back in there uh, with the title shot. And I'm going to go on record with this early. Hopefully there's no injury or anything that happens in the next several months, but I think Kobe gets Usman in this in this rematch. I, I, just, I just have a feeling... His gas tank, man. I, I mean, Kobe has that gas tank. And yes, you know, it took a broken jaw at the end of the fifth round to kind of close out the fight. But that fight was really close. He he stood with uh, Kamaru Usman um, on, on the feet. Uh, neither guy wrestled. I was surprised. That was a point. Neither guy went for a takedown. It was a stand, two wrestlers having a stand-up fight for five rounds. I mean, that made for a great fight, a great stand-up fight. But I think one guy changes their game plan a little bit. And I think Kobe has some surprises in store. Not seeing him in action for what's been a year and a half now. Probably by the time they fight, it's going to be a couple years. Um, you know, not seeing him in action uh, for a long time. I think Kobe's going to surprise him and, and, and get that upset. So I, I think he's the one uh, that's going to stop him. If, if he doesn't stop him, it's, it's going to be a while. Usman's going to have the belt for several years um, or, or a couple years if, if that's if he doesn't uh, if Kobe doesn't get him in this rematch. 
I'll just I, – I agree with everything you just said. I'm a big Kobe fan, but I, I just want to also add, in that first fight, if you had stopped it after round four, Kobe was up on the scorecards with all three judges. So, you know, really wow. it was size that matters at the end. In the fifth round, I just think the beating that he was taking as well, I mean, his body just couldn't endure it. I hope that doesn't repeat itself. He's going to have to be more – he's going to have to defend himself better. Uh, but I think their they're wrestling will neutralize each other again this time. It's going to be another stand-up brawl and very entertaining. I can't wait to see it. You know, the fight coverage on this network, Five Reasons Sports, is truly excellent. And a big part of that is our next guest. This guy does an awesome job, Jonathan Ramlakan. Uh, I, I was watching his post-fight recap after UFT, UFC 264. It was excellent three-piece combo on Twitter. Jonathan, welcome in, man. And I, I love, even though uh, I'm, I'm more of a blue and black guy than a red and black guy being an Italian soccer fanboy, I still think your setup is pretty badass, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. I'm uh, blessed to be joined by a wonderful panel of gentlemen, so I appreciate you having me. No doubt about that. And, and I do want to break down a little bit what we saw at UFC 264, but before we go back in time, I want to take a little trip to the future with you because, of course, we're all expecting now, and there's already odds for it, uh, Dustin Poirier to fight Charles Oliveira for the title next. And according to my uh, sports book, I was checking betus.com earlier. Poirier has opened up as a minus 180 favorite. So for you know, a fight that big, it's a pretty sizable mm -hmm. favorite. Do you see it the same way? How do you handicap Poirier versus Oliveira? Yeah, I think uh, I'm right there with it because although Charles Oliveira has developed that striking game and it's to a point where it's beautiful right we saw especially with that knockout of michael chandler how perfect that right left combo was where he brought that chin or that fist right back to his chin so it's going to be a much more intriguing matchup than it would have been a couple of years ago but I, I think dustin borrier still has that edge you know he has that that kind of dynamite chin where he'll take some shots and you know it'll take some time to put him down on top of that he's a brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt as well so it might neutralize a little bit of submission game of charles Oliveira, and i think on the stand-up game dustin's just better right i think dustin will be able to uh, get it going towards the later rounds. I think this will be one that we'll probably see the fourth or fifth round. But um, I, I think Dustin can get it done, man. I think it's Dustin's time. I think behind Khabib, he's the second great lightest, second greatest lightweight of all time. No disrespect to BJ Penn, but his resume speaks for itself, and he's doing some great things. You know, I, I agree with all that. Let, let, let me just uh, get one thing in here, guys. Is uh, I'll, I'll rewind us to 264. You know, uh, Poirier was in control in that first round. You know, of course, the fight stopped for unfortunate circumstances with McGregor breaking his leg. But what did you see in those first five minutes? I mean, it was crazy to see it almost. It was kind of confusing because, you know, Poirier hit a couple of shots. And then McGregor, you know, calling the first one to, to shoot a Dusty B. Right. He was the first one to shoot and engage in a clinch. So he engaged in the clinch. And then once Dustin started to go for that takedown, then he pulled that guillotine. And uh, that was a very questionable choice. Right. Maybe he was trying to prove something on the ground. Not really sure. But to put himself in a position where he's on his back and Dustin Poirier got it before where, you know, last time in the, you know, the second fight, he, you know, Connor was able to get back up. Dustin knew kind of what the path that Connor was going to take to get back up this time. He was able to neutralize that uh, that guillotine by getting on the opposite side, taking all of all the pressure off of it. And from there, just vicious ground and pound. I mean, it wasn't just like he was laying and praying. I was listening to you guys talk about, you know, kind of what Gilbert Burns did to Wonderboy. It was not near the same thing. He was making sure he was, you know, getting distance, getting leverage, going vertical, getting elbows. He was getting a couple hits from Connor off the bottom, but that's not going to do too much. But Man, Dustin was was dominating. I think that's a close close to a 10-8 round. I wouldn't say it's a 10-8 round just yet, but it's as close as you can get to one. 
Jonathan, does anybody believe that uh, Connor's leg was actually broken before the fight? Because that's the that's the storyline that Connor's trying to sell right now. They broke his leg at training camp or fractured it at training camp. Connor is the best salesman in UFC history, <laughs> right? He can sell you on anything, and that's why this was the second most sold pay per view, even though he got knocked out in January, right? right Connor can right. sell anyone on anything. So uh, I think no matter what he says, you know, he'll try to pull something out of the bag to get this fight done. But um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't buy it. I really don't buy it. But he'll try to sell some other people. But I have five years in sales, so. Maybe that's why I don't buy it. <laughs> Jonathan, we, we've seen Anderson Silva after the leg break. He was never the same. Uh, what, what do you see in Connor's future? He's going to try to come back. His ego is too big. He's not just going to, you know, down his sword the way he did in that fight. Um, what, what do you see his, you know, Connor post leg break? How do you see his career playing out? I mean, what was it going before the leg break anyways? Right. It really wasn't going too well. So as far as the difference in his record, I don't think it would have been too different because if you put him against a guy, that can take him down or, you know, grind him past the first round, it's going to be tough for him to win that fight. If he can't put you out in the first or second round, it's shown it's much harder for him to get that win. So I don't know if the career tra trajectory really changes. I don't think it would, you know, maybe he wins this fight. Of course, he gets that title shot. But losing this fight and losing this fight via a broken leg, it's not going to change where his career tra trajectory will go. I think he's still going to get the next big fight. But as far as his angry performance goes, it's very, you know, it's it's hard to tell, but I think with modern technology, we see how fast Chris Weidman's walking again. I think with modern modern tech, modern med medical technology, we can see him get back to 90, 95%. You know, a, a fight that uh, I wanted your take on, we talked a little bit about it way earlier in the show, but uh, Greg Hardy getting knocked out by Tai Tuivasa. Now, I'm always happy every time Tui Vasa wins because we get to watch a shoey. I mean, to me, that that is always a show stealer. But as far as Greg Hardy goes... Keep the hot Jonathan, sauce out of there, Alex. Keep the hot sauce out the shoe. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, I, honestly, I, I feel like I've seen everything I need to see from Greg Hardy. Like, I, I don't need I don't need to see this guy keep getting fights in the octagon. I've, I've seen enough. Uh, you know, maybe I wasn't a huge fan of his to begin with, given his, you know, checkered past. But uh, I, I feel like I've seen Greg Hardy's ceiling. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, absolutely. He's Bellator bound, right? Now he's time to go sell some tickets by being a name on Bellator. Like, he's a guy that can put you out with one punch because he's a big dude, right? We've seen him gas out. We've seen him not be able to defend the takedown. So he's your classic, you know, low-ranked heavyweight. He can knock you out. He has the hands, but he can get knocked out as well. He can be very sloppy, and he'll gas out towards the end. He's not an elite heavyweight by any means. We've seen his ceiling, in my opinion. Uh, so, yeah, no, he, he's no longer, uh, he no longer should be competing in the UFC heavyweight division. You know, Jonathan, I've talked, Alex and I had a show previously, and we used to talk about the fact that the heavyweight division often suffers. It suffers now in boxing and certainly suffers in MMA because the great athletes are playing football or basketball. So it was interesting, the idea of Greg Hardy coming in to MMA, a guy who typically, you know, an athlete that typically wouldn't have chosen that path. So we see the the great athlete in the sport. Do you find it reassuring, like I do, or, or, or I don't know what the right word is, but that you can't just walk in and learn the sport in a year or two, that I, it is a real sport. And even an athlete of the caliber of Greg Hardy is going to get embarrassed by average guys in the UFC. Yeah. Making a crossover from, you know, non, you know, combat sports to combat sports. I mean, we even saw how hard of a time Clarissa Shields had doing it, going from boxing to MMA against somebody who was, you know, obviously a, a Brazilian jujitsu expert, a ground game expert, but somebody who was really low ranked. Right. So for somebody like Greg Hardy to come in from the NFL, which isn't even a combat sport, and now he's trying to come into this sport and, you know, 
kind of make his name known. I, I think it is very reassuring. This is a, a, a sport that maybe 15, 20 years ago, you know, when UFC was in its primal days, he could have come out here, you know, like Emmanuel Yarborough and done something, right? Be a, just a spectacle. But now we see that things, you know, where somebody like Cyril gone only, what is it, eight or nine fights in his career, he's getting an interim fight, whether deserved or not. He's the new generation of the heavyweight athlete. And that's the type right. of people that have been bred through this, you know, through multiple years, not just coming in out of nowhere, using uh, other, uh, you know, sport talents to kind of come in. You have to train this stuff in the beginning. You have to learn every part of this game. You learn the striking, the clinch work, the groundwork, you know, working off your back, working off the top, making sure you're, you know, use submissions to sweep. Like there's much, so much depth to this game. It's impossible to learn. So it's very reassuring that only somebody that puts the hours in can make it to the top. Now, Jonathan, we're more than halfway through 2021. Give me one fight on the calendar uh, still left in the UFC that you're most looking forward to. Oh, that's a good one. Um, There's only one correct answer, by the way. <laughs> I mean, I'm really looking for I may be I might be biased because it's uh, coming up to my birthday, but. I'm looking forward to that Ortega versus Volkanovski's fight because, I that's mean, that's two one. guys that are nearly flawless in their records. We saw how good that Ortega came back against TKZ. And we know that, you know, Volkanovski, his, his, his power is great and his top game is great. So now how does that go against the, the submission and now striking expertise of Brian Ortega? So I, I think that one, I'd have to look at the, the schedule to, oh, obviously, wait, no, I don't, never mind. I just, it got announced this week. It's on the same card. It's the it's the Nick Diaz versus Robbie Lawler. <laughs> That's the correct <laughs> answer. <laughs> yeah, so um, it's going to be my first time watching Nick Diaz fight live. So I'm super, super excited to see that, man. It definitely is the best card because what I did during quarantine is I started at UFC 1 and I started watching. So, uh, you know, seeing them fight from the younger days, even watching Robbie Lawler against Chris Lydell. You were talking a little bit earlier how Nick Diaz never had that one-punch power, but he put Robbie Lawler out. And it's also more impressive because somebody like Chris Lydell, who had hands of steel at the time, was putting shots into Robbie Lawler's face. And what did Robbie Lawler do? He knocked his chins, put both hands in the air, and screamed. That's the man that Robbie Lawler was, and that's the man that Nick Diaz knocked out back then. So it's going to be a really fun to see that interesting matchup. Uh, like like Dono said, uh, he has the respect of Nick Diaz. That's why this fight is put together. These are guys that are two true fighters, fighters. And uh, it's it's one I'm looking forward to, man. It's three days before my birthday, so it's a great birthday gift for me. It's funny because it's like six days after my birthday, so we're both uh, September kids, man. And I'm I'm yes, trying sir. to get out there, trying to get out there for that fight as well. And the the crazy thing about Nick Diaz, I mean, for for as relatively inactive as his younger brother is, he still fights a lot more frequently than Nick. We've literally not seen Nick for six years, and I'm I'm such a fanboy of his, Jonathan, that. Every now and again, I'll just Google Nick and see if there's anything about him possibly returning. So once we started to get these Robbie Lawler rumors, I got really excited. We've literally not seen the man for six years. How much do you believe in Octagon Russ? Like, hey, can you even quantify how difficult it's going to be stepping in there for the first time since 2015? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. This is a five-round fight, correct? It is, which is great for Diaz because he's got the cardio for days. Perfect. So I think we are going to see a little bit of ring rust, right? But he's going up against a guy in Robbie Lawler that hasn't been too impressive lately anyways. So, you know, Robbie Lawler's been a slow fighter in his most recent fights. He hasn't been a guy that's go out there guns blazing. So this is kind of a perfect matchup for him because even if he shows some ring rust, he's a guy that's kind of always, you know, like his younger brother built up towards the later rounds of the fight. So 
we might see some ring rust, but it just might be regular classic Diaz working his way up to the fourth or fifth round where he's really going to show out. And, you know, maybe we see something like we saw with the Leon Edwards fight and, uh, and Nick Diaz, you know, puts on a spectacular moment. Can, can we make a new division in the UFC? Because it feels like it's already being created, right? Guys that don't really want the title but just want to brawl. So I got Nick and Nate in there. I got Masvidal in there. Um, who else? Robbie's definitely in there. I mean, yeah. guys that just want to fight and put on a big show and knock somebody out. And I think Conor McGregor, maybe when his leg heals, we'll throw him in there too. I think we've got maybe the most entertaining division in the UFC. I mean, isn't that what the BMF belt was really supposed to yeah. be? That's what I'm saying, yeah. Right? Right. Yeah, that's right. I mean, so then start putting this thing on the line. Look, some people will hate it, you know. Uh, obviously, the diehards that, you know, are really true about the sport. But there's some guys, like you said, these guys aren't fighting for championships. Nick Diaz isn't beating Kamaru Usman, right? This, You know, they're not going to They're not <laughs> going to want to ask Alex, Alex that. Alex I mean, I think, it's, you know, the, the Diaz brothers, they don't lose. They just run out of time. So if he, lo- <laughs> if he loses the five-round decision, the problem was they didn't go ten rounds. Then he might have had a chance. I mean, if, if you look at the the fight against uh, Nick Diaz versus, or sorry, Nate Diaz versus Leon Edwards, if that fight had another minute and a half, and maybe if he just didn't point instead of you know after he hit that left hand, if he didn't point and he went for the finish, he might have actually won that fight. But we could have said that same thing: a couple more minutes in that fight, and then Nate Diaz has actually beaten Leon Edwards and maybe the number one contender in the in the welterweight division. But you know, like like you're saying, it's it's tough to see these guys beat the top of the top. They just want to fight, right? Put the BMF yeah. belt on the line. Let Jorge. If Nick wins this this fight, let you know let them do that fight. They've been talking about you know he beat Nick Diaz or Nate Diaz. Now he has to fight Nick. Let them do that fight. Let them put the BMF belt on the line. They're gonna still be a draw. They can do it at Madison Square, Square Garden. They can bring the Rock. They can make it their one celebrity thing of the year. They have Triller Fight Club. They have everywhere else doing celebrities. Let the UFC just put these guys that just want to scrap just for this BMF belt. Amen, man. And and look, the weight class is not really defined. I want to go like 160 to 180. Just you got to be in there, you know, and I think all these guys fit in nicely. Don't don't even have to make a weight cut right now. Now these guys can go <laughs> right. in fresh. Like wh- why even weight cut at this point? Right. Just let them go in. Let them sign and agree. Wait, maybe they want to do 185. Maybe they want to do 190. Right. Maybe they want to go down to 170. Let them just sign wherever they want to sign. Make that weight class open, like you said. You know, from 160 to 185, and then there you go. You have a you have a BMF division. By the way, a fight that we haven't even mentioned, and I want to go around the table on this. So I want to get Jonathan's take and Frank and James's take as well. Sean O'Malley uh, beating Chris Moutinho, getting the very late TKO stoppage, and you know it was kind of a, a sudden stoppage. Like I think Herb Dean just kind of decided, you know what, uh, I've seen enough of this dude with green hair getting his face bashed in for what was, you know, around uh, around 14 minutes at that point. But, you know, really, for as great of a performance as it was for O'Malley, even though he couldn't actually finish the fight until late, I think that that fight goes to show you how it is a little bit of a risk when you have a fighter like O'Malley accepting an unknown short-notice opponent, and he ended up being O'Malley on minus 1,000 favorite right before the fight so you know i stayed away from that one i don't like those odds one bit (laughs) you know to put up uh, you know a thousand dollars to win a hundred dollars back on o'malley and even though he was peppering and just really hitting uh, like i I didn't think that moutinho was going to make it out of the first round let alone almost make it out of the third round and moutinho uh jonathan was essentially now he did land a couple of punches going forward a couple but he was basically a very aggressive cadaver, like wasn't really moving his head, wasn't dodging a lot of punches, was getting beaten up for those three rounds. 
I mean, how, where does O'Malley go from here? Because obviously he was supposed to go up against a much higher profile opponent in Louis Smolka, who got, uh, I think, a staph infection before the fight. So uh, did, did O'Malley's stock go up in that fight? And now I guess Moutinho's stock definitely went up even in defeat. Well, let me let me just say a little bit something about Moutinho before I go on O'Malley. Uh, this guy had about, I think, 2,000 followers on Twitter before this fight. And now I think he's about 28,000. Wow. It's even more than Frank Zafford. Jonathan, that's what I got to do. I got to get hit a thousand times the head by Sean O'Malley. I'll have, I'll have Twitter followers. <laughs> There's a caveat. You have to get hit a thousand times in the head and then not get knocked out. So that's, right. that's the second right. part of that. Yeah. Um, so all, all credit to him, man. He's going to have to work on some things. Obviously, he took this fight on short notice against one of the best guys in the division. As far as who he should go for next, I, you know, before they said that Cody Garbrandt was going down to 125, which I hope that cut goes well for him, right? But well, he's uh, huge I, for that weight. It's yeah, exactly. He's gonna be huge for that weight, and uh, him versus Moreno would be a great fight. If or I they probably wouldn't put him against Moreno immediately because he just lost the font. But uh, you know, it'd be interesting to have him there. I would wanted to see that fight. Rob Font just beat Garbrandt, so I don't think Font deserves that fight. Font deserves probably a little bit somebody a little bit higher. He called out Peter Yan. I think maybe uh, he called out Dominic Cruz. I think that's the perfect fight for him, right? Dominic yeah. Cruz. Multiple time world champion, obviously, is you know, lost some years due to injury, but still showed in his last fight. I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head. He still won that fight. Um, he, he shows that he's still a good fighter. I think you know, Sean O'Malley is proven against enough scrubs, you know, with all respect to you know, all these guys, Eddie Weiler, Strickland, uh, all these guys he knocked out, but it's time for him to get that step up, right? It's really time for him to get step up, and I think Dominic Cruz would be that perfect, perfect matchup for him. But by the way, real quick, before we go on to Frank and then James, what did you think about the stoppage? Because I know uh, like Joe Rogan on the broadcast seemed outraged by it. Daniel Cormier wasn't. And I, I wasn't really outraged by it either, to be quite honest. The yeah. fan of me was very upset because, you know, you definitely want to see two things. You want to see either him get knocked out cold, right, mm -hmm. which was close to happening. Or yeah, you want like to see this guy who made it all the way around. Let him go out on a shield, you know. It's, you know, a little bit tough there, but. If you're looking at it from Herb Dean's perspective, this guy is getting beat up for three straight rounds. He hasn't shown you anything that he'll put O'Malley in any danger. Like you said, just walking forward, not much head movement, getting hit on the way in. He'll get maybe one or two, but the footwork of O'Malley was so great. He was able to escape. It was almost Adesanya-like. He would fake to the left and then go to the right, which showed kind of his basketball, his crossover ability, which was very exciting to see. Um, but as far as the stoppage goes, I think as a ref, it was the correct stoppage. If this guy was to go out cold, then you lose some more extra years in your career. At least he's getting saved from going out cold. He, he doesn't lose, you know, he doesn't go out at least, you know, he doesn't go out on a shield and get the decision, but in his mind, he'll know he didn't really get TKO'd. It was a, it was a stoppage just for his health. I think the problem I had with the stoppage was that if that was the reasoning, it could have happened much earlier in the fight. Uh, so you know so i mean so if you're gonna let him get battered that badly just let him ride the whole thing out because it was a hell of a performance to come in like that late notice take those kinds of shots and walk out of there so hats off to him for doing that and as far as sean o'malley and his call outs i couldn't agree more with you jonathan like dominic cruz is the guy like when you're a guy like sean o'malley when you win a bunch of fights it actually works against you because then top level guys don't want to fight you they don't it's you're not worth the risk so dominic cruz is the one guy who i think would take a fight like that. I think he would. I think he would look for a challenge like that and would enjoy it and would accept it and would give O'Malley the opportunity to have a, the kind of win that really takes him to the next level. 
Yeah, I'm in, in in agreement as well. I like I like Dominic Cruz, but I'll also throw another name out there, Frankie Edgar. Um, I, I think that's another yeah. you know veteran guy, tough guy, um, a guy that would probably try to take him down, um, but also is pretty good in the stand up. You know, can can push O'Malley good. to limits that he hasn't been pushed at this point, and it's a big name to where you know that that would get O'Malley pretty much where he wants to go. I don't see why he would turn down a Frankie Edgar fight. So yeah, I'd say Cruz or Frankie Edgar, either or. All the same, uh, but I think both will be kind of in that class that O'Malley needs to fight at this point. Just yeah, to jump it, in on that Edgar point, uh, he's not in any danger for, for any flying knees as well against O'Malley, so I think that's a positive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and and Edgar to me, he's he's the perfect gatekeeper at this point because obviously he's not as tough as he used to be, but he still uh, is a big enough name, well respected enough, and he's tough enough to beat. That if you do get a victory over Frankie Edgar, that means something like that. That's a great one for the resume, no doubt. You know, l- last thing I want to go over here with Jonathan, we look ahead to uh, to a couple of fights that I find pretty goddamn interesting uh, on the fight night event this weekend. Before we get to the main event, we'll talk a little bit about the return uh, of Misha Tate, who's been away for what has it been like four years, I believe, twenty seventeen. I think the last time she fought. You know, she she talks about having at that point when she decided to retire, the retirement didn't take. But, you know, she she had some some personal issues at that point. I don't want to speculate on what that might have been. You know, she's had two children since then, which I'm sure can change someone's perspective. And she decided she has that itch to come back. Um, it's it's really hard for me, Jonathan, of course, to, to handicap a fight for someone who's been a, away for so long. Unless it's Nick Diaz, I'll pick Nick Diaz to win any fight. But for Misha Tate, it's a little bit tougher. She's a, a slight underdog against Marion Renault, And this is actually going to be Renault's retirement fight. So you've got the return and the swan song happening, which makes this a pretty big one. Uh, you know, and, and maybe it's hard to pick a winner with how long Misha's been away. But your take on her return and what kind of an impact can she have on the UFC now after a while away? Yeah, it's it's very uh, hard to, like you said, as far as a betting perspective and handicapping this thing, it's really hard because you have somebody who's coming in after a long time. And you have to think, right, for, you know, going on five years now, actually, five years ago, the women's division was kind of where the men's division was. You know, at the beginning stages of UFC, where the specialists kind of dominated, where you know that time, obviously Ronda Rousey, Ronda Rousey with the judo, you know everything like that. Um, Misha Tate was kind of a wrestling specialist, where she'll focus on getting you down to the ground. Is that going to be something that's going to work against the modern female mixed martial artist? Maybe in this fight, right? Maybe in this fight, I was actually uh, looking at the stats. The takedown defense for Marion Renault is is okay 50% for somebody who averages two takedowns a fight. If she gets two out of her, you know, in, in the three rounds, that's usually going to mean you're going to lock, lock up two of those rounds, whether those are, you know, ground and pound or lay and pray, you know, just like uh, one of you guys were saying earlier in the show uh, about Chael Sonnen stealing rounds with the, with the takedowns. It could be something that happens just like that as well. She can get the takedown close to maybe a minute of the round after getting beat up on the feet for a couple minutes and then she'll, she'll steal the round. So, I think that she'll she'll come in. She'll probably win this fight. I do expect her to win this fight. I think her wrestling background is a little more uh, available to you still in the modern mixed martial art as far as female mixed martial artist goes. But as far as how she will far will she'll go in the future, I don't think she has a, a long term impact. What do you think, James? Yeah, I agree with that in terms of long term uh, with, with Misha Tate because the sport the sport has changed. And I mean, can we look back at anyone who's especially on the female side who t- who take who took four years off and came back and had success um, at least, you know, midterm and long-term. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think this fight is kind of set up for her to win. 
a, you know, an opponent who's thinking retirement, an opponent who's nine and seven, uh, you know, overall, I think the UFC kind of did Misha Tate a solid in terms of giving someone that's not in the top 15, um, you yeah. know, to, to face. Um, so, yeah, I think it's kind of set up for her to win. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, long term, as Jonathan mentioned, I, I don't see this being, you know, a, a two or three year project where Misha Tate kind of works her way back to the top 10, um, you know, and gets, you know, big fights and even a title shot. I, I think this is more of a two or three fight situation where she kind of scratches that itch. And, you know, whether she's one and two, two and one, oh, and three, whatever she's going to be in that in that span. I think she walks away quietly after that. Yeah, jo- Jonathan said it great. I would have said it not so nice, but he called it the specialist <laughs> era. I mean, it was an era where, you know. If we're being fair, Ronda Rousey, Misha Tate, I would include her in that conversation. Their legacy is that they turn coaches, gyms, and the UFC onto the fact that you can make a lot of money with women fighting in mixed martial arts, and they deserve more training. So now what you have are the monsters like Amanda Nunes, you know, and the and the, the, it's galactically there. It's it's night and day. It's it's not even the same universe of fighting. So she's been away five years. I'm going to assume some of those years having kids. She hasn't been evolving with this sport. So, yeah, maybe this fight is going to be okay. But, oh, my God, the future for her would be way, way worse. I mean, I hope it's one fight and out. I liked when she left. I thought it was the right time to go. And I fear for her safety, honestly, in this newly developed women's MMA uh, thing that we have going on now, where it's, quite frankly, every bit as spectacular as the men's fights, as these women evolve in terms of their talent. And guys, she she started the Amanda Nunez uh, reign of terror, right? As far as uh, winning, you know, the championship, she hasn't lost since. Um, yeah. In that fight, she took it from her in what USC two hundred, I believe. Yeah. yeah. On that on that big show, and she's been on a tear ever since. So for her to come back after all those years, and Nunez is still at the top, and she has an extra belt. Uh, I mean, that's that's just incredible. Um, you know, the run that she's on. By the way, guys, I think I'm probably more excited than most MMA fans are about the main event for this one. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, you guys know how I, I fanboy out for Dagestan. I think I need to, like, redo my Ancestry DNA test because there's got to be some Dagestan in there, man. It didn't come up in my first result. It's got to be in there because I, I would go to war for these guys. And I'm a huge fan of Islam Mahachev. You know, he's a protege, of course, of Habib Nurmagomedov. As we talked about with Kevin Ioli, there are a lot of similarities between the two. And Jonathan, quite frankly, uh, I think Islam could very well be the future of the lightweight division. Obviously, want, we want to see him continue to go up against tougher opposition and, and pass more tests. I want to see a little bit more out of his striking game, a little bit more fluidity. But when it comes to the ground game, I mean, the Sambo, the Sambo background that this guy has, you talk about being a Russian champion, check, a world champion in Sambo, check. Once this guy gets close to you, you're getting taken down, you're getting tripped, it's only a matter of time, and the top control from this dude can be relentless. And, yeah, he's going to go for submissions and get those submissions uh, before he's necessarily going to go for a TKO, and he's very effective in doing that. Honestly, um, I, I think it's only a matter of time before Mahachev is at least competing for the lightweight title. Whether he actually wins it, I'm not going to guarantee, although I think he does. But I think this guy is a potential champion in the making. I absolutely agree with you. I think he's one of those guys that you kind of look at and you talk about, okay, this guy's the world champion in two years, right? This guy, when I was thinking about, you know, maybe a, a fourth potential fight between Dustin and Connor, I was thinking if Dustin wins the belt, okay, Islam's going to take it off of him and then you can do that fight later, right? So, you know, it's almost like a, a pre empathy of that 
Islam is going to be that next guy. And to speak on the level of his talent, Drew Dober is a phenomenal fighter in this division. And the way that Islam was able to just destroy him, counter his wrestling, his inside trips were so beautiful in that fight. And the way he's able to, you know, counter someone's counter wrestling is really what makes him so good and what makes him so much kind of like, to to your point, kind of like Khabib-esque, right? Obviously, he doesn't have that smash ground and pound kind of thing. He'll more, like you said, go for the submission. But I do, I do think he's that next guy, right? Uh, I think he's the next guy up in this division. I think, obviously, everybody's scared to take that fight with him. You were talking about with O'Malley. If he's beating up all these newcomers, he looks too good for these you know, top-end guys to fight. This, this kind of having the same situation with Islam right there. So I think he's that next guy. I, I do think he's championship material within the next you know, three or four fights, whether who takes those fights for him or not. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it could be one of those situations in this main event where we see somebody like, you know, how Al Akinta, it was a competitive fight with Khabib. Obviously, he didn't white. We, we could see that with Tiago Moises because of his uh, BJJ background. I was going to say, this is a bit of a dangerous fight. Sorry to jump in, Frank. Um, this is a bit of a dangerous fight. And I've seen comments from Islam this week calling out Tony Ferguson. You know, he's already kind of looking ahead. RDA, at- he's calling out as well. Yeah, yeah he's, like he's, he's, he's looking at everything but the guy in front of him. I still exactly. think he wins, but I, I don't love that, you know? Likewise, and that that makes it a dangerous fight to me. He's calling out guys. Everyone's already kind of crowning him as a the next top five guy, maybe a future champion, you know, in in a couple years. So you know this this fight is dangerous, but I I agree with most mostly what everyone said that he does have the look of a future champion. But keep in mind too, this is probably the hardest division to go from you know number nine to number one in. I mean, he's gonna have a a plethora of really tough opponents. I mean, just let's just say just just hypothetically throw out like a Dan Hooker, then a Michael Chandler, then maybe a, you know, a Charles Oliveira, let's say he's not the champion anymore, you know, by sometime next year. Like he's going to have his, his four or five fight win streak that he's going to have to go through to get to a title shot is going to be brutal. And I don't know if he can go four and oh with, with that kind of run. I mean, can he beat a Hooker, Chandler, you know, Oliveira, Dustin to, to get the title? I, I don't know, man. That's, that's really tough for anybody. Um, not to say that he's not great. He's tremendous. Uh, but I just think that the, the overall toughness in this division will make it extremely hard for him to just run through it and just go from number nine to number one, you know, undefeated in the next couple of years. Yeah, but you're forgetting, James, how exponentially better Khabib looked than everybody else, especially towards the end of his run. Dagestan is taking over. I mean, guys, it, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm no, I'm being serious. Like, they bring this Sambo background. They're also... Their body mass composition is interesting to me. They're not overly muscular, but they're insanely strong. People I talk to that train with them say, like, the strength is next level. I mean, certainly people that have trained with Khabib, that's all they can talk about. It's because they're wrestling bears and they're, like, lifting up logs and stuff. I mean, uh, uh, us Americans, we're in, like, L.A. fitness and stuff doing curls. Like, these guys are lifting actual objects. But I'm saying, I'm generalizing, but these Dagestani guys, Khabib is leading this army of, of terrifying fighters. I mean, their cardio goes on forever. They're technically sound. I think all they do is train. I don't think they have any other activities uh, aside from that. And I think they're the next, maybe Brazil in terms of like the area of the world where we see all this talent emanating from. So uh, I think it's going to be a real takeover. It's really fun to watch. 
Yeah, no doubt. Hey, want, want to send a huge thanks to Jonathan Ramlakan for joining us. And guys, we're, we're doing uh, so much, uh, Jonathan, and we got a great crew covering fights on five reasons. We even uh, have a Twitter account now, Jonathan, and you're the one tweeting from it. Thank God we let you do it and not Frank because uh, it would have 13 <laughs> followers. So let, let the people know where they can find everything you do and everything combat sports on the channel. Yeah, of course, for the channel force first, you can follow us at Fight Reasons. So instead of five reasons, we're at Fight Reasons. And you can follow me at Three Piece Combo. And uh, yeah, I want to thank like all three of you guys for having me on. It was great to be in your presence. I appreciate you talking fights with me. And uh, thanks to Alex for, uh, for inviting me. Too kind, my friend. Enjoy. And, and you got uh, Muay Thai class tonight. You were mentioned to me. So go kick some ass tonight. Yeah, still my second week. So I'm still learning. But uh, oh, you know, nice. it's, it's so much fun. So much fun. Watch out for the knees. Yeah, 100%. I, we were taking some yesterday. So. <laughs> uh, really good stuff there from Jonathan Ramlikan. So we, we got a, uh, a few more minutes here before we wrap up this episode, guys. So uh, did, did you see, I don't know, uh, you know, Frank, you're in the Fort Lauderdale area. So maybe you were you were around this when this happened. You know, former uh, pro kickboxer, Bellator fighter, actually a guy that I, I really enjoy watching, Joe Schilling, has been sued for more than $30,000 after he knocked out some dude at a Fort Lauderdale bar. So this is from MMAfighting.com. Justin Balboa, not as tough as Rocky Balboa apparently, is a man who was caught on video getting knocked out by Schilling. He has filed a personal injury lawsuit against the fighter and the bar where the incident took place. Schilling and Bro Management Las Olas LLC, which is the corporate entity behind B-Square Burgers in Fort Lauderdale, are named co-defendants with the Bellator MMA vet being sued for battery and the bar for negligence. Balboa seeks damages in excess of $30,000 from each, so he could walk away with sixty k. That's not bad for taking a punch in the face. Uh, his uh, attorney, uh, Rich Conforti, told MMA Fighting the total damages are well over hundred k. I, well, first of all, being a bar owner, I'm surprised that that's the low. No, I, I'm surprised he's not going for three million dollars. I mean, you would usually think, right? You especially when, you, especially when you know the guy who knocked you out happens to be a professional well, fighter. No, that guy's know? not going to have any money. But the but the the restaurant bar, the 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 business entity, they're going to have liability insurance with certain limits. And typically, these people are just trying to cash in on an incident that you know, quite frankly, from what I read and from what I heard, he provoked. Um, I'm not I'm not condoning assault. But I'm just right. saying he, he provoked the fight. Um, you know, usually you're going to go and you're going to find out what the policy limits are and you're going to sue for that. So he's coming in kind of with a low ball number. Um, it'll get mediated and, and he'll get uh, fractionally less than that. But uh, I'm not surprised. I mean, this is what this is what people do. So. Sounds like he needs a new lawyer, James. Like he, he could have done better <laughs> than a lawyer who's trying to get him 60K. Yeah, that's a low ball. And I mean, you're going to pay that in lawyer fees probably, but. Um, and, and why would anyone pick a fight in, in this concentrated area? You have Samson MMA, you have ATT, you have MMA Masters, you have more MMA gyms in this concentrated area of South Florida and probably anywhere in the country. So your odds of running into a professional fighter, picking mm -hmm. a fight with a professional fighter, probably higher than anywhere. So this is not the place in South Florida to go around bars and picking fights. 
Um, so yeah, th- that was a crazy move by him. I don't know the story. I didn't see the film, but allegedly that was a crazy yeah. move by him. James, it's a great point though. It really should calm everybody's bad behavior down in South Florida bars. I caution people about this all the time. That really tiny guy that maybe bumped into you on the way to the bathroom. It's not worth yelling. He might be an up and coming bantamweight and he's going to tear yeah. you up, you know? Exactly. So just everybody just calm down. Uh, there's no reason to get hurt. Like, where would you say is the best place to pick a bar fight? Is obviously it's not Fort Lauderdale and it's not, you know, Boca, any, anywhere in the vicinity of Sanford MMA and American Top Team. Because obviously the fighters who train there probably frequent bars that are, you know, within a 10, 15 mile radius of those gyms. Like, I, I used to think maybe if I'm going to pick a bar fight, like I go to France. But then maybe somebody there might train with Cyril Gaon or Francis Ngannou. Like, is there like a safe place to say, if I'm going to start a bar fight, this is the town where there's probably not somebody tough enough to kick my ass? Oh, all right. So you're asking, is, is are you going to be the toughest guy there? Because I thought maybe you were saying, like, I'm saying you got to be out in the country where at least after the fight, you're not getting sued civilly. You know, I well, think if you're that's not a bad way to look at it either. Area, yeah. I mean, you know, you can win some, you can lose some, but what you don't want to wake up the next morning to is a, is a, is a lawsuit. So uh, I think if Fair. you're anywhere rural, uh, that's probably your best bet. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know if there, if there's a safe uh, place for that anymore. Uh, no, listen, I mean, I don't want the audience to think we're condoning bar fights here. I mean, no, of course the point, not. Yeah. There should be no bar fights. Please don't fight in bars. Please. That's our message. Especially not me, because I don't want I don't want any part of that. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah. So so looking looking real quick, guys, uh, again, at the fight coming up this weekend, UFC fight night between Islam Mahachev and Tiago Moises. And Moises does train at American Top Team. He's a tough guy. Like I, I, I watched uh, I've watched all of his UFC fights and I just I don't see him being particularly special enough in any area to really give a challenge to a guy like Mahashev. I just think Mahashev is just going to be so overwhelming. Like perhaps if, if Tiago Moises was such an exceptional striker that he's going to offer like such a mismatch in that area, maybe I'd say, you know what, maybe he can pull this off. Or if Mahashev was like a gold medal wrestler, I could say, oh, well, this is amazing because you've got gold medal Sambo against gold medal wrestling. You know, Tiago Moises is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. I will give him that. He's exceptional in that area. He's, you know, a, a pretty good puncher, a good kicker, very conventional stand-up. Like, he doesn't do anything funky like the Sean O'Malley type. So he's not really going to surprise you with anything he throws. So at the end of the day, I look at this, and barring a big surprise, which would have to come in the form of, I think the only blueprint to victory here for Moises, in my opinion, would be catch um catch islam really early with a thunderous knockout shot right where you can change the complexion of the fight because once islam and this is a five-round fight once islam gets into a rhythm with his clinch game i think he's just going to wear out and tire out mr moises and the fight is only going to get tougher and tougher and tougher for tiago from that point forward so i really think he's got to catch Mahachev with you know a, a, maybe a head kick or like something that can really put him in trouble uh, with his chin early on. Otherwise, to me, I think this is going to be pretty smooth sailing with for Islam Mahachev and, and James. To be quite honest, I'm really looking forward to this fight because I think Mahachev to me represents the next great prospect in the lightweight division and potentially a future champion there. I don't think this is going to be a very exciting fight though. It's going to remind you a lot of some of the fights that Habib Nurmagomedov won on his road. 
to the lightweight title where he's not particularly challenged along the way. I think this could be one of those. Yeah, I think there's a, a bit more potential than you're giving credit for for there to be a chess match on the ground. I, I think all three of us can agree this fight is going to the ground uh, at some point, and that's where yeah. you have a BJJ black belt um, against a Sambo uh, you know, specialist. So there could be a little bit of a chess match in that respect. Uh, I would assume Moise is going to be on the, on his back. Um, so, you know, maybe he's going for submissions, uh, you know, from his back where Islam is kind of going for control and, and, and positioning. Um, so I, I think I think that part could be an interesting um, aspect. As you mentioned, you know, getting caught uh, in the stand up is probably his best chance. Um, but but, yeah, I, I could see a little bit of a chess match. But I, I think I'm most interested after this fight. Who would Islam have next? You know, I mentioned some guys like Dan Hooker, you know, some some guys that could be waiting for him you know, in that top six, top seven, because I, I think it's time. I, I just think it's time. Same with O'Malley. I just think it's, I, I don't necessarily like the process. If a guy is ready, he's ready. You know, you don't have to give a guy five tune-up fights. You can give a guy three tune-up fights or something like that. Like they don't have to fight an extra year. You got to remember these guys only fight two, three times a year. So that's a right. year off of their career. Like if they're ready at 26, they're ready. You know, they don't have to wait till they're 27 to, to be ready. Um, so, you know, I, I think Islam's in that in that spot now to where, you know, this this really has nothing. He has nothing to gain from this fight. If he if he wins this fight, you know, he's kind of in the same spot he was hoping for a guy in the top seven. Um, you know, if he loses this fight, he, he you know, he loses a lot more. Um, so I, I, I really don't like when they put, you know, people in that kind of position. You know, these hot prospects. It, it's no I mean, this is MMA where anything can happen. Uh, you can derail a guy's you know streak, a guy's career just like that. If he loses this fight all the Islam hype goes down, you know, so why, why even put him in this position if he's ready? You know, I think he's ready for a fight like Dan Hooker, you know, at this point, I think he's ready now. Why, why does he have to wait six more months or, you know, till next March or something to get that kind of fight um, when he can do it now? I, I agree. And I'll just quickly throw in that, you know, that's what I'm watching for is Islam going to be tight because, you know, he's got a lot to lose here. And, you know, when you're mm -hmm. fighting a guy who can really just take chances because, you know, if he wins, it's the lotto. And if he loses, he was supposed to. Those are dangerous fights. He's, Islam's in a tough fight here that way. So it makes the fight interesting for that reason to me. Yeah, no doubt about that. And so, yeah, uh, real quick, in, in about the 90 seconds we have left, were, were you guys as turned off as I was by the way Conor McGregor was acting in the immediate aftermath of that fight? I mean, Frank, you brought it up, and I thought you said it well. Historically, McGregor has been just such a graceful loser where after a fight is over, even if he loses, he'll show his respect, he'll compliment his opponent. And yet, you know, even though McGregor like couldn't walk at that point, so he was really in no position to talk trash, he's talking about Dustin's wife. He's threatening yeah. to kill him. Like, I, I was – I. I was really turned off by that. He went right into fight hype mode because I think he knew at that moment, like my career is going down the toilet. So I think he passed graceful loser <laughs> and went right to fight hype again because he's like, oh my God, like I can see it slipping away. I've got to say something outrageous to make Dustin want to fight me again. Dustin's too smooth a character for that. Yeah, and, and although indefensible, all the stuff that he said was completely, completely wrong, I, I do think you have to at least frame it in the context that he put six months of work into this, of hard work, and to have everything crash so suddenly and unexpectedly, he wasn't in the right frame of mind to do an interview at that point. I mean, he's sitting with a broken and he's leg. Probably, yeah, he's probably delirious. Like, I, I broke my arm once, and I was delirious. Like, I was not thinking straight. Yeah, no defense for what he said, but but I would think his frame of mind wasn't the best, you know, considering all the pain he was going through and everything. It's only getting worse the more he talks, so. <laughs> yeah, that's yep. true. That's well said. Yeah. Well, listen, he, huge thanks to Jonathan Ramlikan for joining us.
to Kevin Ioli from Yahoo Sports for joining us. And guys, make sure you check out the Quarter Deck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill. Locations all over South Florida. Best place to watch every UFC and every UFC pay-per-view with zero cover charge, my friends. I love the seafood, the sushi, the ribs, burger sandwiches, so much more. And the beer is always cold. The Quarter Deck, come for the food, stay for the fun. We will talk to you guys again next week on another episode of Five Rounds. For Frank, for James, and of course, for Manny Chang behind the scenes, who's a freaking rock star. He makes this all go. And yeah, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel, Five Reasons Sports Network. Make sure you hit the like button, the thumbs up on this video. Turn the alerts on so you can see when we're live. We will talk to you guys next time here on another episode of Five Rounds on the Five Reasons Sports Network.